0: This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. We are continuing our series in the book of Habakkuk. Uh, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, uh, the way that we teach the Word here at Commission is a very expository way of study where we take, the book, we take books of the Bible, we break it down verse by verse, and we study as we progress along, and we study together. Uh, we study what God has to speak to us and what God did back when He did it in Habakkuk's time in this case, and how relevant that is to us uh, in our society, in our churches, in our lives, in our personal lives. Uh, today, we are, uh, we, we are approaching the middle part of our study in Habakkuk. Uh, in fact, we have one more chapter left, chapter number three. It's, it's rather a smaller study than we've done in the past. Uh, and today, my hope is that we cover a lot of verses. I don't know how that's going to happen, if it, or not. It's not if, if it's going to happen. I don't know. But I'm in full anticipation that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to us. So give me your undivided attention for the next 20 to 25 minutes as I bring the word of the Lord to you guys in a way that is understandable and in a way that God can move our hearts this morning. I want to title my message this morning, The Boomerang Effect. The Boomerang Effect. Habakkuk chapter number two, verses four to 20, is this passage of scripture that is fully loaded with verses and a conversation that God is having with Habakkuk. In Habakkuk chapter number two, uh, verses four, I'm going to read two verses here and uh, and, and journey with me. If you don't have your Bibles with you, you can follow on the screen as the team puts the verses on the screen. Today is an exception. I know I usually read from the English standard version. I want to read from the NLT today. We're following from the New Living Translation. We interchangeably dabble between the two translations. And this is what the Bible says in verse number 4. It says this, Look at the proud. They trust in themselves, and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Wealth is treacherous, and the arrogant are never at rest. They open their mouths as wide as the grave, and like death they are never satisfied. In their greed they have gathered up many nations and swallowed many peoples. Here is a man, a prophet as we know him, who is super confused as to what God is doing in his time. He has no idea why a good God is about to unleash his fury and unleash his judgment on his own people, on the land of Judah, on the nation of Judah. God is about to send a people that is more ferocious, a people that is more evil and cunning and more treacherous than Judah in themselves. Habakkuk understands that Judah has gone far away from God, but he feels that Judah has not done anything as bad to deserve the punishment that they are about to get. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking in depth about the plans of God and the mind of God and how they are unsearchable and unthinkable. And no matter how much we ask God to reveal his plans to us, like he tells Habakkuk in chapter number one, he looks at him plainly and says, Habakkuk, I can try to explain this to you, but you will not understand. It's powerful. It is powerful when we understand this. But the reason I'm calling this message the boomerang effect is because a boomerang is a tool that is is a thrown tool. And uh, popularly, it's known in Australia. Uh, It's typically constructed as this flat piece of, of, of metal or PVC or different materials that it's made out of wood primarily. And it's designed to spin about an axis perpendicular to the direction of its flight. Uh, A a returning boomerang, if it's designed the right way, is designed to return through a thrower. If I throw a boomerang across this room with the wind in the right manner, it shouldn't hit any of you. It should come right back to me. That's what a boomerang is. God continues to answer Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter number 2. To Habakkuk's second question that he has posed before God, and to all the questions that he has asked him, God, why is a good God like you supposed to stay silent, and why are you quiet, and this and that, God is interjecting here today and making a statement. I want to talk about the statement that the Lord makes to Habakkuk in the midst of telling him that the judgment is coming against Babylon. Babylon. He's reassuring him. He's reminding him. He's saying, don't worry about it. All that was meant for your evil, God will turn it around for your good. What we're about to observe in this message this morning is this ability that God has to take what is thrown at you and, and throw it out of the way and throw it back to where it came from. The Bible is very clear about that in Psalms chapter 23, where the Bible says he prepares a table in front of your enemies. When you see your enemy coming against you, God reminds you all the time that his plans for you are bigger. His plans for you are greater. But this one phrase in chapter number number two and verse number four, which says the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God is the important message that I want to leave with you this morning. You know, the book, in, in, if you go through the book of Genesis through, the, through, through Leviticus and Deuteronomy, Moses gives us 635 laws, otherwise known as the Mosaic Corpus. David comes along, takes those 635 laws and compresses it down to around 11 in Psalm chapter 15. In Isaiah chapter 33, Isaiah takes those 15 and makes them into 6. In Micah chapter number 6... Micah comes along, he binds the six together and makes them into three. Habakkuk then comes along, takes the three, condenses it even more and reduces those 635 laws into one. And that law is simply this, that the just shall live by faith. You know, the verse is usually translated, the righteous shall live by his faith. You probably know this verse by the, in that way. This is a verse that all Christians know. It's, an, it's a verse that is very fundamental and very crucial to our theology as Christians and as believers. But because of one word in the Hebrew, this verse could just easily be translated as the just shall live because of his faithfulness. Not the just shall live by faith, but the just shall live because of his faithfulness. Now, I want to draw you to this word that is used in the original Hebrew. The word emuna is both faith and faithfulness. Why is this important? The commonality among the two, regardless if they were a noun or a verb, is from the root word to have faith. That's where it comes from, right? This is what I'm trying to say. I hope you don't misunderstand me here. I am not advocating and I'm not saying that we are saved by works. I'm not advocating that. That is not true. Perish that thought from your memory. Perish that thought from your mind right now as we progress in this thought. I'm saying this, that genuine faith will lead to genuine faithfulness. A person that has put their genuine faith in God... And if their life has been transformed and changed by the genuine faith that they have placed in a life-changing God, that in turn will move and, and move that person into a life of faithfulness. The famous phrase that Paul says, the just will live by faith, it should be understood from the original context of Habakkuk to mean that the righteous person lives on the basis of his faithfulness. Here's the thing. Habakkuk's statement is made clear this way. The righteous, right? I want you to follow with me. The righteous, who are the righteous? The ones that have faith in God will live. The righteous will live, be protected, be sustained, right? God will protect you. God will sustain you. God will keep you by faith. What is by faith? By demonstrating a faithful trust in God and his promises. That's the easiest way to break down this verse. The righteous shall live by his faith does not simply mean that he will claim to have faith and do nothing about it. It's very important for the Christian that has faith to operate and walk and talk and function in his faith. This is, this is important for us to understand. On the contrary, right, if he has genuine faith, then he will demonstrate genuine faithfulness to the God that he, ha- that he claims to have faith in. My question to you today is, are you a person of faith or are you a person of faith that translates into faithfulness? It's so important for us to understand both these terms. You cannot be faithful unless you have faith in a person. You cannot be, a husband cannot be faithful to his wife unless he trusts his wife and unless he has faith in her and he puts himself in her arms. And A wife cannot trust the husband, vice versa, it goes hand in hand. Our relationship with God is just not based on faith where we say, Lord, we trust you, but God gives us the ability to test that faith time and time again. Every single day of our life is an opportunity for you and for me to be faithful to the things that God has called us to be. My question to a lot of us in this room is how many of you just call yourselves people of faith or do you exercise that faith and say, Lord, I am not just a man and a woman of faith, but I'm a person that is faithful in everything that I do and put my mind to. And in this faith and faithfulness, the Bible is saying that you shall live. This verse is quoted several times in the New Testament, encouraging God's people to have faith in him. This is the great book. You know, this, the, the, it's, it's, a, it's a great book. This, this book of Habakkuk is this great book that talks about what faith really is. Because as we see, Habakkuk is in this midst of a great struggle with his own faith. Where he's saying, Lord, I know I'm a prophet. I know I'm a child of God. But I can't understand God because circumstances are telling me otherwise. How many of you have been in those situations where your circumstances defy faith? How you cannot look at your circumstances with the right mind and say, I can trust in God at the same time. His faith is being jettisoned at this moment. His faith is being rocked at the moment. There are Habakkuk sitting over here questioning God and asking God about his faithfulness, about his goodness. Because your circumstances and your situations, it could be your financial situations, it could be your your, your relationships, it could be your family, it could be your finances. I don't know what it is, but it is in direct conflict with what God says you are or you should be. But here's the thing, right? The struggle is because of one thing and one thing alone. It's because of this phrase that we always use. I can't see it. I can't see it. If you can see something, it's so much more easier to trust in that thing. But here's the thing. Faith lives not by what it sees, but, what, but, but by what it does not see. Am I talking to somebody here? The, the unseen is what fuels faith. Faith without the unseen is dead. You cannot say that you have faith and you cannot in the same sentence say, I have to see it to believe it. Faith is about looking at God and saying, God, you have given me the ability to rest in your arms to say, you know what, I don't need to see it to believe it. I don't need to touch it to believe it. The faith that you put in God is his ability to see his goodness, see his love, see his faithfulness, even through the uncertainties. The answer of God that we're about to study deals with Habakkuk's frustrations, it deals with his fears, and and this question that is raging in his heart is, would God leave the guilty in Judah and in Babylon unpunished? This is his question, would the righteous be consumed with the wicked? This is the encouragement that in the day of turmoil and destruction, the righteous person, God is looking at him and saying, no matter what your situation is, the righteous person will always live by faith. How do we live by faith in the midst of a world that doesn't make sense? God is about to break it down for Habakkuk. God is about to dissect this piece by piece. And he says, man, I wanna, I, I, here's a statement I want you to catch, right? Faith lives not by what it sees. I, I, I said this earlier, and I want you to catch on to this because this is going to be crucial going into this message. Faith lives not by what it sees, but what it does not see. See, here's the thing. From, the, from, from their be- the beginning of their spiritual lives to the end of our spiritual lives, those who are right with him, trust him, right? We live by faith. That's how, we, that's how we live our Christian lives. Faith will end at death. Do you know that? Like this faith that we put in Jesus Christ, it'll end at death. Why? Because faith will give way to sight at that point in time. We will see him as he is. What, that's, that's exactly what I long for as a Christian. That's what you long for as a Christian. There is an expiry date for faith and for the Faithful. The faithful will not have to have faith anymore because when his eyes close and when her, her, her breath finally comes to seize, they enter into the glorious presence of almighty God where they see this God face to face and when their faith is translated into this reality of saying, man, this person that I put my trust in and put my faith in is standing face to face with me. Just like Jesus in the garden embraces a God that is always in control. You know what the meaning of the word Habakkuk is? Embrace, to hold tight. Just like Jesus looks at at his situation and says, God, I don't want this, Lord. Take this cup of suffering away from me. But yet he embraces that God is sovereign and God is all-powerful and God is seated on the throne and nothing will ever change that. But Habakkuk is still roaring with questions. How can you use a nation more wicked to discipline? In chapter number 1, verse th- number 13, Lord, why Babylon, God? Of all places, why Babylon? In verse number 17, if you're if you allowing the Babylon's God, to, to destroy us, when is this even going to stop? Questions after questions. And from verse number 7 all the way to 20, we're going to see God give an answer, not just one answer, but five different answers that is going to address each and every complaint that Habakkuk has, all right? Here's the thing. We're introduced to this justice boomerang effect where God looks at us in our situations, in our problems, and he says, judgment is not for you. Vengeance is not yours. Yours is not, you you don't have the power in your hands To go out there and warrant justice and warrant vengeance and warrant revenge. That's not who the Christian is. He looks at Habakkuk and he's about to remind him who he is. He says, Habakkuk, I want you to listen. If that happened to you, I'll take care of that. I know it hurt you. I know you've been through a lot, but remember, The just will live by faith. If you are faithful to me, you will hold on to my promises that are yes and amen. And he's about to remind him about the things that he utterly hates. Are you ready for this? God is saying, Habakkuk, I'm about to tell you that justice is coming. He's about to answer all of Habakkuk's questions, all his concerns, and he lists five things that God utterly hates. Church, this is a reminder for you and me as to what God hates. One, he says, extortion. I hate extortion. Habakkuk, if you think that I am going to put up with extortion, trust me, if there's one thing God really hates, it's extortion. The second thing, evil gain. The third thing, violence. Fourth, exploitation. I hate exploitation. Five, idolatry. He hates idolatry. And he's about to break these five things down and tell Habakkuk, Habakkuk, this is what you're worried about. These are the things on your mind. This is what concerns you. This is what is keeping you up at night. I don't know how many of y'all have gone through any of these things. But I've gone through plenty in my life that I've been hurt. There are people that have extorted, extorted, extorted from me. There are people that have, that have benefited from evil gain in my life. There are people that have executed violence and hatred against me and my family. There are people that have exploited me and, 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 and people that have brought me down to my knees. There are things that I've gone through where, where it was idolatrous in nature. So I know when I'm talking about these things that these things not only apply to Habakkuk and the people of Judah, this applies to you and me this morning. And God is saying, I cannot stand these five things. Here's how we break this down. As I go through this list, I want you to promise me that you will take this time, this opportunity to do some self-introspection. Can we do that this morning? It is not my intent to accuse you of any of the items that we'll be looking at, It's not my intent to point fingers today and say, you, 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 or me, 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 me. It's not any of that. It's rather to get you to examine your own heart in the light of God's word, as I already have done, preparing for this message, and as I'm going to do this morning as I share this message with you. In verse number six, he continues and he says, but soon their captives will taunt them. They will mock them. I'm going to break that down, but soon their captives... Whose captives? The Babylonians captives. The ones that have, that have inflicted pain. The, all those people, the victims of their horrific deeds are going to taunt them back. The boomerang effect. Am I talking to somebody today? They will taunt them. They will mock them by saying, what sorrow awaits you thieves Now you will get what you deserve. You've become rich by extortion, but how much longer can this go on? Suddenly, your debtors will take action. They will turn on you and take all that you have while you stand trembling. Take this down. Number one thing that God hates is extortion. He hates greed. He hates greed. When I say extortion, this is just not talking about taking money in illegal ways. The more success the Babylonians experienced, the more greedy they became. Just as drunkards, they wanted more and more wine to satisfy their thirst. That's what drunkards do. They walk around drinking and drinking in revelry till they have no control of themselves. And he is comparing the Babylonians to that. He's saying, man, they've had their heyday. They've had their jolly time. They've gone around pillaged. They've gone around breaking people down. They've gone around tearing people down. And they just want more. I don't know how many of you, but I love documentaries. And one of the very recent documentaries that I just finished watching as I'm starting to get a lot more interest into American history, is uh, the, the documentary called The Men That Built America. Uh, for those of you who haven't watched it, it's a great documentary to watch. Uh, it's an Amazon Prime and it's an amazing uh, few, I don't know how many parts there is to the entire series, but uh, since I didn't do American history here, or I didn't go to school here in America, at least grade school, and didn't study American history, it was very intriguing to me to learn about the people that actually built America. And one of the people that they talk about is this man called John D. Rockefeller, And in the documentary, they talk about how he was was one of the the richest men in in, in America at that point of time, so rich that people could not even keep up with him. And a reporter once asks him, he says, how much money is enough for you? And he responds by saying, it's this famous quote of his, he's saying, he says, just a little bit more. And I wonder how many of us are caught up in that cycle of just a little bit more. You know, it could be working more hours or just to make more money without, and, and there's no need for this. For so many people that do it, and I'm not against people that do it because you don't, you don't have the resources, you don't do it because you, 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 you know, I, I'm, I'm strictly talking to the people that don't need to do it, but they still do it because they want more. It doesn't matter if it's taking time away from your wife or your family or your children just to make that extra buck. People will still do it because just a little bit more. Habakkuk notes that the Babylonians were as greedy as the grave, he compares them to death, which is never satisfied. He says, he, he says, you Babylonians are like, the, are like death. He says, man, no matter what happens, this is the best illustration of greed, you'll find death won't stop taking until everyone is in its grasp. And the same way, is the greedy person, the grave is one of the four things that never says enough. And I don't have time to go to the next, the, the other three. But we, we, we look to money as a provider and protection and security. And in short, we look to money to be our God. For so many of us. And I want us to introspectively look at our own lives. Is money taking the place of God in your life? When God is very clear, when he says there's only one true God, scriptures warn us us of this, of money and the wealth that is dangerous, the love of money, the Bible says, is evil. So many of us fall into temptation and get rich quick. But I want to leave you with this. Money is the gauge to the condition of our hearts. Money is the gauge, is the true gauge to the condition of our hearts. If you're looking at money for protection and provision and security and vindication and validation, that's where your heart is. And there's one word as a pastor I have for us as a church body, and that one word is repent. Repent. Get rid of that extra job. If you don't need it, get rid of the extra job. Get rid of the extra hours if you don't need it. Get rid of it. Spend that time with your family. Spend that time with your spouse. Watch them grow. Watch them run around. Take them to the park. Come to church on Sunday mornings. In verse number nine, the Bible continues and says, what sorrow awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly, right? He's not talking about your good house or your nice house that you have that's not what he's talking about, he's talking about what the sorrow that awaits you, woe unto you is what he's saying to those of you who build these big houses and attain wealth with all the wrong means through dishonesty, you believe your wealth will buy security putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger, but by the murders you committed, you have shamed your name and forfeited your lives, the very stone in the walls cry out against you and the beams in the ceiling echo the complaint. Point number two. Do you know what God hates? God hates evil gain. Injustice. Believers, brothers, sisters, run away from evil gain. Shortcuts are not for believers. It may seem nice. This is not about doing something in a... Sorry, this is, this is about not doing something in a right or godly fashion. It's about cheating people to get where you want to be. It's about lying to people to get where you want to be. It's about stealing something, taking what is not yours. He says sometimes you try to get away by putting your nest on high. Evil man trying to get evil gain to make his nest more and more protected, but he can never protect himself from the long arm of the Lord's righteous wrath. No matter what you use in the world to secure your wealth, whatever bank you put it into, whatever country offshore banking account you put it into, no matter what stocks or bonds or security assets you put it into, let me tell you something. If you acquired it the wrong way, God is coming for you. I'm sorry if this bursts your, your, your prosperity gospel theology that you have, but I'm not that kind of pastor. I will tell you what the Bible says, and the Bible says God hates evildoers. The Babylonians... We're like their ancestors who who said, come on, let's build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach to heaven. And and I don't know in our our conquests, in our quests at least, I don't know how many of us are trying to build towers and success and reaching so far that you will do anything and everything to get there. Have you seen crabs? To get up, to get out. They'll trample on people, they'll get on the other crabs, they'll claw at you. There are people consistently like that in your lives. I hope there are nobody like that here in this place. Lord, please, I hope there's nobody like that in this place. But in your walks, in your daily walks, in your school, in your, in your place of work, in your business, this this. This place is an evil place. This this country is an evil country. Our existence is evil. But in the middle of that, I pray that you and I will be the difference. You and I will be the light of the world. We will be the salt of the earth and we will stand our ground and say, we will do it the right way. We will not cut corners. We will not be abrasive. We will not cheat. We will not lie. I pray that you and I will be men and women of valor and we will raise children that have integrity in their hearts because that is what America needs. We need men and women with integrity. And I'm talking about cheating on your taxes. I'm talking about every small piece of thing that the Christian is prone to do, run away from it. Verse number 8 Because you have plundered many nations, now all the survivors will plunder you. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. What sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption? Has not the Lord of heaven's armies promised that the wealth of nations will turn to ashes? They work so hard, but all in vain. For as the waters fill the sea, and the earth will be filled with the awareness of the glory of God. Point number three, that God hates is violence. And today, he's possibly speaking to physical, emotional, spiritual abuse. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know if you are under the infliction of it. I don't know if you're aware of it, but God hates it. God looked to the Babylonians and said, you've had your time. You have caused violence, you have caused emotional, physical, you have caused trauma beyond words, and the boomerang is coming right back at you. This is a warning. It could be gossip, it could be slander, it could be using of the word of God for selfish purposes, it could be using, you know, it could be being abusive, like I said earlier, slapping, hitting, it could be beating a spouse, beating a child, and you're probably looking at me and saying, Pastor, who does that? You will be very surprised, and I as a pastor have to pastor this moment into encouraging some people today to honor the people around you. God hates violence. It could be something as small as yelling. It could be something as small as verbally assaulting someone or or screaming at someone. But today I pray that everything that causes us as the body of Christ to be violent will be put down. And he's looking at Habakkuk and saying, Habakkuk, you complained about violence? You watch what's going to happen. I'm going to take care of these people. I will retribute. Don't worry about it. He's promising him and saying, just watch what's going to happen to each and every person that violated you. I am assuring you this morning, church, if there's anybody sitting over here that has been through some kind of violence in your life, It could be emotional trauma. It could be physical trauma. It could be physical abuse. It could be mental abuse. And you have no idea why it happened to you. And you have no idea why it continues to happen to you. My God is not quiet. He does not turn a blind eye. He does not turn a deaf ear. Your tears and your pain and your suffering and your cries are heard by God. And when He sees it fit to stand up for you, He will stand up for you. Until then, He will give you courage. He will give strength to outlast the storm. Somebody needs to hear that today. Somebody sitting here, somebody watching online needs to hear that today. You were not destined to go through abuse. I bind, I rebuke abuse that you have been through in your life. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I, 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 I rebuke it. In verse number 15, the Bible says, what sorrow awaits you who make your neighbors drunk. You force your cup on them so you can gloat over their shameful nakedness. But soon it will be your turn to be disgraced. Come drink and be exposed. Drink from the cup of the Lord's judgment and all your glory will be turned to shame. You cut the forests of Lebanon, now you will be cut down. You're destroyed by the wild animals, so now their terror will be yours. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. Point number four, that God hates, is exploitation. Christians should never exploit other. I'm talking about inhumane, insolent behaviors. I'm talking about treating people disgracefully. And God says, man, it's going to come back to haunt you. That Babylonian spirit that comes up inside the church sometimes. I've seen it way too much in my life. Where the evil spirit takes over people and they, they, they exploit people. I don't know how many of you all have been taken advantage of. There are some people over here that are being used as a doormat. I pray that God will give you wisdom to stand up for yourself and pray over yourself and declare over yourself. And today, if that's you, if you feel that you're being manipulated a lot, if somebody is using you a lot, there is freedom from that. And it comes by coming to the presence of God and saying, God, I don't know my value in you. I want to know you in a deep and a personal way. He created you in his image. You have value. You are not meant to be a doormat. You are not meant to be abused. You are not meant to be used. You are formed and created in the image of God. You have worth. You have value. The Babylonians had behaved like a man who gets a woman drunk so she will lose her self-control, and he can then exploit her lack of self-awareness. How many of us have been in situations like that, where after the fact, we come back and we're like, man, what did I just do? To please people will allow them to walk all over us. To be friends with people will allow them to walk all over us. To be on good terms with people, to hold on to a job, to hold on to a certain title, you will allow people to walk all over you. Just like the Babylonians had made their neighbors drunk, so the Lord will give them a cup of judgment that would make them drunk. And I want, I want some, somebody to listen to me closely. If you are that person who is in the shoes of the Babylonian, who has taken advantage of people, repent before the Lord. Repent before the Lord, because God hates those who step on others. It's Babylon's violence this ethical and moral injustice, it's going to come back to cover them because, because, he, because Babylon has, has rapaciously stripped Lebanon of its vegetation, of its animals. Man, I've, I've been through so many situations where I've seen the hand of judgment come upon people, where they have destroyed careers. I've seen individuals that have walked into people's homes and marriages and broken them apart for selfish gain. I have seen politicians rage against one another Scheme against one another. We see that in our political circles every single day. I have seen pastors fall. I have seen leaders fall. I have seen people in leadership fall time and time again because somebody accuses them, puts them down. Unjudicially. Exploitation is something that God hates today. In verse number 18, the Bible says, What good is an idol carved by man or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation, a God that can't even talk. What sorrow awaits you who who say to wooden idols, Wake up and save us. To speechless stone images, you say, Rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they are lifeless inside. Point number five, and my last point today. God hates idolatry. He detests idolatry. Ezekiel speaks of idols of the heart. What are the idols? And I don't want to get into the depths of each one of these things, and that's why I'm breezing through these. It could be just about anything. It could be money. It could be position. It could be power. It's just, I'm not, I'm not talking, when we talk about idols, I'm not talking to anybody that has like this idol in their pocket that's, that's filled with gold. That, that'd be weird if you, if you did have that like carrying around. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. If you're sitting there saying, oh, I don't do idols, that's not what I'm talking about. It, it, we break it down to this. It could be money. It could be position. It could be power. It could be a job. It could be sex. It could be hobbies, sports, affection of all sorts. If it is guiding your life and it's the basis of your decisions, that could be an idol today. And after saying all of this stuff, what does God's justice look like? What is God saying? When God's time comes, God is reminding the people of Judah and he's reminding Habakkuk, when my time comes, I will deal with those that needs to be dealt with to make sure that I bless you. My time is perfect, is what God says. What happened to Babylon? Babylon. After all that stuff that they did to the people of God, after all the murdering and after after all the pillaging and after all the ransacking that they did, after all the conquering that they did, Babylon only lasted as an empire for 70 to 80 years. This powerful nation that could not be brought down by a person, by a kingdom, 70 to 80 years. They were defeated in the year 539 B.C. If you go now to Google Maps and you type out Babylon, it will take you to a bunch of sand and ancient ruins. Type in Babylon in Google, it will put you pictures of utter, utter dismay. It will, it, will, it will shock you to see nothingness. Nothingness. Everything that God said will happen, happened. He said, when you throw a boomerang, you better be Assured that it's going to come hit you right back because God has a way of looking at the people that put you down and saying, I am the lifter of your head. No matter what you go through, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not put you down. God says, I will be on the other side. He does not give you anything that you cannot contain, you cannot handle. If he takes you to it, he will take you through it. He will give you the courage and he will meet you on the other side. Like the video we watched, God doesn't say that you will have an easy life. That wasn't a part of the promise. The part of the promise was, I will be with you even till the end of time. No matter what you're going through today, the thing that you and I need to hold on to is this faith that He has told us that His grace is sufficient for us, that I will boast in my weakness. That even though the enemy ravages against me, I still know that my God is on the throne. And because my God is on the throne, I will not give up. I will not sit down. I will not throw in the towel. I will not say. I will not give up. I will stand and I will be faithful because faith and faithfulness go hand in hand. You leave the boomerang to God. He will take care of that. Vengeance belongs to the God. He will take care of all the enemies that come against you. Nations that they oppressed were overpowered. The Medes and the Persians defeat them. The nations get their money back. The Jews who were stolen from get their money back. They go back to Jerusalem. They go back and they build a temple. You know why? Because justice belongs to God. Can I encourage you, church, this morning? If you haven't learned anything else from this morning's message, I want to encourage you with this. Stop pursuing the people that hurt you with the intention of hurting them. So much of real estate in our mind is taken up by planning and scheming how we can bring down the people that, that plotted against us. But do what Esther did. Esther didn't, didn't plot and plan. Esther, this woman of God, fell on her knees she called her entire nation and she said, if the enemy used this, oh, come on, somebody, he doesn't give. God, God looks at us and says, your weapons are not carnal. It's not flesh and blood. Christians, get on your knees. Pray in the presence of God. Be an Esther. Go and cry in the presence of God. Say, say, Lord, here are my complaints. Here are my prayers. Do what Daniel did. Even when they persecuted him, he still opened up his windows. He didn't cuss them out. He opened up his windows and he prayed so that they saw that his weapons were not off the world. His weapon was from the Lord. And the weapon called prayer is all that you need in the middle of adversity to hold on to and say, Lord, I will be faithful in your promises and my weapon is prayer today. Jesus, justice belongs to the Lord. Stop wasting your time scheming the fall of other people. Let it go. I feel like singing, let it go. Let it go, y'all. It's time. Some of us are holding on to stuff from 15 years ago. I know it hurts, I know it is painful. I know that person walked out on you. I know you were abused. I know that that marriage failed. I know that there are issues that you're going through in your life. I know you lost that money. I know they betrayed you. I know they stole from you. I know that your family went through unthinkable stuff. But let it go because the vengeance belongs to God. And in his time, he will take care of your enemies. He will take care of your problems. You just learn to be faithful in and through it all. stay faithful. John, would you help me out? Worship team, would you get ready? So what should you do? Let me close with this. I know we went slightly over time today, so bear with me, please. What should we do? Verse number 20. Simple. What should you do? He says, but Habakkuk is coming to his his senses here, and he's This this is beautiful. He says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. What should you do? Have the awareness that God is on the throne. I say this and I don't say this casually. The Christian needs to understand and know that no matter what is going on around them, my God has not taken a break from his throne He still is in control like he's always been in control. Your eyes may not perceive it. Your mind may not be able to fathom it. You may not be able to understand. But God is reminding you from his throne. If I told you, you wouldn't understand. But in the middle of that, the promise is hold on. Grip tight. Ride the wave. Because the God that called you to it is faithful. Faithful. And he knows what he has told you. And he knows his word. And he knows his promise. He wrote it for God's sake. And he said, man, I know what I wrote. And I am not human that I will, that, that I will lie. No, I don't know what you're used to. And I don't know the people that have deceived you and put you down and disappointed you. But I ain't one of them. I am true to my word. So, a." What should I do? I should know that he's on the throne. He's in where, where he belongs, in the, in the holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before. Simple. Stop allowing your mind to raise 100 miles an hour. Goes back to what we talked about last week and the week before. Be silent. How, brother, how? It's easier said than done. See, this conversation is about to end abruptly. The second answer to the second question is about to end so abruptly this awkward ending as as God's position changes to saying hey this is what I'll do here's here's what you should do be silent the NIV the NLT says be silent the ASV the ESV says keep silent The message translation says quiet, but the word in Hebrew is this word called haka, haka. And it's actually more forceful, much like the English word hush, not shh, it's hush. It's pretty forceful. This is the answer given to all the world, not just to Judah, but to the prophet, to the believer, to the unbeliever. The question and answer portion of the program is concluded. It's done with. And the prophet who thought that God was silent is himself silenced by the Almighty God. It's amazing when you come to the realization that God is on the throne. You can't help but say, "Okay, God, I don't got this. You got this. It's amazing what can happen when you take the pressure off yourself and learn to trust in Jesus. It was important that they were told to hush because there's so much going on. There was so much noise. The priests were performing sacrifices and other rituals in the temple and, 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 they, were, and, and, and they needed silence in the presence of God to usher in Yahweh's presence. The noise of the questioning prophet and the the agonizing of people, the chattering of pagans before their idols, all of this noise. God looks at them and says, hush, just quiet. For Habakkuk, the message was clear, stop complaining, stop doubting. God is not indifferent to sin, he is not insensitive to suffering. The Lord is neither inactive, not impervious. He is in control. He is in his perfect time. Yahweh will accomplish his divine purpose. Habakkuk was to stand in humble silence, a hushed expectancy of God's intervention. And in your noisy world that you live in, where you're unable to pray and focus in on God without this music blaring from their cars, or, or, or the beat of, of, of the, ba- the bass vibrating in your vehicle. Horns blaring at you in traffic. Even many church services are marked by more noise than quiet reflection sometimes. In the stillness of the night. Sometimes in the quiet of the three o'clock in the morning hour when God awakens you. When you're unable to sleep and you're wondering why, ta-da, God's saying, I want to have one-on-one time with you. That's not when you should run to the doctor and say, I can't sleep. Give me some medicine. No, no, God's like, bro, is me, you time. Come on, let's do it. But today I pray that God will remind us today that he is on the throne and because he's on the throne you don't have to worry would you stand up to your feet this morning ironically here's what's going to happen we're about to enter into chapter number three the last chapter of Habakkuk next week and we're about to see something amazing It's this command of silence, the hush, that's about to provoke praise. It's this command of hush that's about to ignite praise. In chapter number three, you're going to see this amazing declaration, this turnaround that Habakkuk is going to take when he reminds himself that God is a faithful God. Today, as we pray, as we get into the presence of God, we want to spend some time in prayer. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.